Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Well, if you have your copy of Scripture tonight, I'll invite you to turn to the good news according to Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. I'll give you a few moments in case you're looking. If you don't have your Bible or your phone app, it's okay, because I'm going to read it all. So you'll be a-okay. A-okay. Well, last evening, was blessed to meet with the men. If you were in the first service, I want to correct the number. I said about 80. And by the second service, Steve Thigpen had sent word to me that I was wrong. There were 87. So I'm grateful for the additional seven. Um, But we met in here last evening. And uh, we talked uh, from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I had already been pastor um, at this local church for one year thereabout when the Lord finally explained my call to me. (laughs) It had been kind of foggy, you know. I went to Bible college. I I remember Kim asking me, you know, are you sure you're called? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> but I said, we'll go to Bible college. I'll learn more about the Bible. And if the Lord doesn't have a door open, then we'll come back to the coast of North Carolina and I'll be a better Bible teacher than I ever have been as a layman. And she went with that. But I had this sense that that the Lord was calling people and they were not answering because the fields are white as unto harvest and the workers are few. And I think what drew me into ministry was that Jesus deserves some people in the fields. So I don't think that's all bad. Uh, But later, he would uh, help me to articulate the call. And it was from Isaiah 6. And if you know Isaiah 6, you know in verse 8... Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And I remember sitting on Roosevelt Street in my back corner office. It was actually January 14th. And I was reading Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And he was writing about Isaiah 6 and verse 8. 
And uh, the Lord basically said, you volunteered and I took you. <laughs> that was the way I understood my call. I frustrated all my professors in college because you had to write these papers and some people were like, you know, they woke up, they ate a tangerine and the Lord said, you will now preach in Zimbabwe, you know. It just didn't work that way for me. But I love Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And I was thinking over even this afternoon still, and those three words that I gave you this morning, those, I'm going to give them to you again after a bit, but I'm going to repeat them now. I had never really noticed that in that, that story, those first eight verses of Isaiah, that when Isaiah saw the Lord, he worshipped the Lord. Because <laughs> oh. he cried out, Holy, Holy, Holy. So the first prayer that he gave when he saw the Lord was worship. <laughs> it just, I said, it can't be. I had never seen it. And so I went on and then after he saw the Lord, <laughs> he, he surrendered <laughs> because he said, I am undone. I, I am destroyed is the word. It's a surrender. He, he surrendered to the king of kings, uh, the holy, holy, holy God almighty. Um, he... So he, he confessed, he, and his confession was a surrender, and, and so he offered a, a prayer of surrender. And then he began to make his appeal. And his appeal, he wanted to fulfill what God was asking for. God said, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And the appeal was, here am I, send me. I, I want to go. <laughs> wow. That's because his heart had been purified and his agenda was set aside. And, and now his appeal, he was asking God for his own life for what God wanted. Wow. What a way to live. There's a prayer in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 37, I believe, is where you will find it. And we as Christians, uh, I think we like the verse. We like to claim the verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Well, years ago, you all, some of y'all may remember this. I prayed that verse, but I, I edited it. My prayer became, Lord, give me the desires of my heart only if my desires are one and the same with yours. <sighs> and this is what happened to Isaiah. When it came time to make the appeal, he just wanted what God wanted. God was looking for someone to go and, and to speak for him, and that was what Isaiah wanted. Wow. Just... Uh, you know, I just had to share that because today, you know, um, watching the Eagles go undefeated, I thought about that. And uh, 
Bill Troyer will appreciate that comment. I, I do know. But uh, I thank the Lord for sitting on the couch with me and uh, taking me back to Isaiah 6. Well, Mark 14 is where we are tonight. And I told you this morning that uh, we don't have to go from Genesis to Revelation to learn how to pray aright. Uh, we only need to listen to Jesus and look to Jesus. And I'm so glad that we can learn to pray from what Jesus taught. But tonight, we learn to pray, and it's not taught, but it's caught. So we listen to Jesus, and we look to Jesus. Words, he spoke words, he taught, and then he gave us opportunity to watch him pray. He gave us the lecture. And then he gave us the laboratory. Personally, I think the last thing most Christians should need is another lecture on prayer. But it's good to refresh. It's the laboratories that I fear are lacking. As a pastor and as a district servant, sometimes I break out in a spiritual cold sweat when I have this particular thought, I wonder if God's people are actually praying. Because I don't know. I just know how busy life is, and I, I know how we get weary, and, and uh, we have to subtract things from our lives. And, and that's why I love this idea that the Lord has been courting me with that my life can become a prayer that I, I just the rule is that I'm always in communion with him in conversation with him um, try it I think you'll like it um, Oswald Chambers said that if we become the will of God our search for the will of God is over. <laughs> and a lot of Christians are looking for the will of God. But if you become the will of God, <laughs> your search is over. Could it be <laughs> that instead of finding a block in our day to pray, that our life would become a prayer <laughs> and then the blocks would happen when they need to but we're already in that communion with the Lord. I believe it's, uh, it's what he's after. Actually, let me speak to the young people here tonight. I think we're focused on the young folk for a bit. Um, I watched a, a video of Rich Mullins uh, a couple of years ago, I got fascinated with Rich Mullins. Um, I like biographies, and 
and I like to study believers' lives. And, and Rich Mullins was n- not perfect, you know. Uh, none of us are absolutely perfect. But I'll tell you one thing Rich Mullins had. He had a heart for God. Uh, you say, who is Rich Mullins? Well, he was one of the very first contemporary Christian singers. Uh, he did a lot of work at college universities. You probably know his most famous song, Our God is an Awesome God. <laughs> You've heard that probably. Uh, another one of his famous songs, Step by Step, is one of his songs. But um, I have all of his music. <laughs> Because it speaks to me. It speaks to my heart. Now, he's not living on the planet anymore. In his, I think, early 40s, uh, Rich Mullins was on the way to a concert and he was killed in a, a Jeep accident on the highway. And so I became fascinated with Rich Mullins. And I found a whole lot of uh, videos, uh, just clips here and there. A professional and just very, you know, unprofessional clips. I mean, just, you know, where people have filmed him talking and singing. And um, the study of his life drew me nearer to the Lord. It gave me more desire to be in communion with the Lord. But um, he was standing before young people. I would say they were probably high school seniors for the most part. Uh, Maybe high school juniors. They have this music festival up in Pennsylvania called Creation Fest. Have you all ever heard of this? Where they bring in all these uh, Christian artists and they have three or four stages going at the same time. And uh, Rich Mullins frequented that a lot when he was living. And uh, somebody had like a a bad camera on him, like a Super 8 or something. I don't know what it was. But they had translated it to YouTube and I got to watch it. And I was so moved by what Rich Mullins had to say to those young high school students. Uh, They were standing there. There really didn't seem to be any adults in the picture except for Rich. And uh, they were Q&A, they were asking him questions and he was probably getting ready to go on the stage or he had just come off and uh, they were asking him questions. And uh, one student raised their hand and uh, said, Mr. Mullins, the question that I have is, is I'm trying to decide God's will according to what college I should go to. And Rich Mullins' response was fascinating. Uh, He said, college, huh? Well, I'm not sure God wants you to go to any college. He, he said, I've been to some of them. They're not that good. Good thing there were no parents there. And uh, you could tell he was setting them up, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, he was saying, who said it's God's will for you to go to college? Who said that? You know, he just kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And then one of them, I can't think, followed up. I'm just sort of remembering. And said, well, how do we know what God wants? He said, oh, I'm getting ready to answer that for all of you. (laughs) I thought, I got to hear this. Here are all these Christian students. They're at Creation Fest, and they're asking Rich Mullins, you know, what is God's will? How do we know God's will for our life? Uh, how do we know what God wants? And, and Rich said, well, all of you listen because I know what he wants for all of you. I'm going to tell you all. <laughs> when you leave here today, you won't even have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> wow. And he didn't have a crystal ball or, you know, anything like that. 
And then it got silent. Everybody's paying attention. I'm paying attention. I'm probably eating my 100-calorie snack. And I laid it down because I want to hear what Rich Mullins is going to say. He said, I know what God's will is for each one of you. God's will for you is to be holy. And he left them with it. That's freeing. He said, he may let you choose whatever college you want to go to or if you want to go to college or not. I'm not sure God really cares. But I know what he does care about. He wants you to be holy. I would love to have been able to follow the lives of the students who heard that from Rich Mullins. What are you saying, Pastor? Back to what Oswald Chambers said. If we become the will of God, we don't have to keep looking for the will of God. Because it will happen. <laughs> I'm not saying we won't have to do anything. I'm, I'm not saying you won't have to fill out you know, college papers. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying that to be holy is to become his will. Not just to look for it, to become it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to leave you with that and move on, but uh, there's a lot of that going on in this passage. So tonight we're going to watch Jesus pray. And you're going to be amazed at the parallels that we've already covered. Mark 14, 32 through 42, at the top of the scripture in my Bible, it says Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a place on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. But you know what a Gethsemane is? It's a place of pressing. It's where they press olives. And the olives give up whatever is within them in the press. The olives become oil. And this is where Jesus is praying in the place of pressing. Verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled this is the prayer laboratory Jesus has spoken words he has taught them how to pray now they're going to watch him in hopes that it will be caught he's going to demonstrate what he has spoken he became deeply distressed and troubled now Think about this. Jesus is at the turning point of his life. He's at the crossroads and he chose at the turning point of his life to pray. Of all the things he could have done, he chose to pray. Now, without the show of hands, how many of you are at a crossroads in your life? How many of you are at a turning point in your life? 
what are you doing? Are you trying to figure it out on your own? (laughs) Or do you want to be like Jesus and pray? Verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Now, theologians will argue that Jesus wanted them to keep watch to help him. I'm not against that. But I am sure that he wanted them to keep watch to help them. (laughs) Because he has told them how to pray. And now he's going to show them how to pray. Stay here and keep watch. Literally keep watching. Whenever the word is used, the Greek word for keep watch, the stakes are serious. When the stakes are serious, to fall asleep is equivalent to dying. It's like the the sentry, the watchman who sits up in the tower and keeps watch for the enemy uh, to come over the horizon so the trumpet can be sounded to arouse uh, his people and they can be saved. They can defend themselves. Stakes are high. Right? And I would say the stakes were pretty serious (laughs) on this night. When Jesus said, stay here and keep watch. Keep watching. Verse 35, going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Now look at verse 36. Look how he begins his prayer. Abba, Father. He taught them, when you pray, say, my Father, your Father. He didn't just say it. He lived it. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. That's his first prayer. What would you call that prayer? Worship. He's speaking affirmation to the Father. If we begin our prayer and say, God, I know that whatever my situation is, you're greater. That's worship. Jesus is coming into the valley of impossibilities. The walls are closing in on him. And he begins by saying, Abba, Father. And he follows that with everything is possible for you. Worship of the Father. I don't understand it, but that's what it is. It's worship. 
Remember Jesus used to say things like, I didn't come to do what I want. I came to do what the Father wants. That's worship. I do what you want to do with it. My three and a half pound brain won't process it. But I love it. He didn't just tell us worship. He modeled it. Everything is possible for you. And look at the next prayer. Take this cup from me. Well, that's one of the three prayers as well. That's appeal. <laughs> He's making his request noon. He's asking. <laughs> he taught us that we pray three prayers. And I said this morning, sometimes you won't always pray them in order, but the three prayers are there, and they're both in what he taught and what should be caught. He says, worship, and then you can appeal or surrender. Surrender's coming. Don't worry, it's coming. Take this cup from me. And without taking a breath, he prayed the prayer of surrender. <laughs> oh, listen to this. Everything is possible for you. Worship prayer. Take this cup from me. Prayer of appeal. Prayer of asking. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Prayer of surrender. Wow. Pastor, that must have been really moving for the disciples. Well, actually it wasn't. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. They missed the whole thing. If it were not for Mark, we wouldn't even know this. Mark was not a disciple. But if you read the end of Mark, you'll find out that Mark had slipped out in the night and he was looking through the tree limbs and the branches to see what was going on in Gethsemane. Because Pete, Jim, and John, they don't have a clue. Because they're sleeping. With the stakes this high. I remember when I was a, uh, first a member of this church. I, I was not the pastor. It was in like 1980 when I came to Harrisonburg. Uh, I worked with uh, gentry photography. My wife worked a dress shop at the mall. And we attended uh, the Harrisonburg Church of the Nazarene. Bill Troyer was our Sunday school teacher. And uh, probably along about 1981 or 82... Our church had a prayer vigil, a 24-hour prayer vigil at your house. You didn't have to come to the church. You just chose an hour. Okay. Now, I was putting a lot of hours in those days, just to be honest. But by the time I got the sheet to sign up, all the good slots were taken. I think my slot was 2 a.m. So I signed up for 2 to 3 a.m. Don't want to break the chain. The pastor said, don't break the chain. I set my clock for... 1.45, I got up, I made a big mistake, I went in the den and instead of kneeling or standing, I decided I would pray in the bean bag. <laughs> so Pete, Jim, and John ain't got nothing on me. And I woke up about 4.30 and I sure I was going to hell. It took me 20 years to admit that I had fallen asleep on the prayer chain. So I'm feeling Pete, Jim, and John. But they missed it all. Missed it. 
missed the laboratory. Then Jesus returned to his disciples, found them asleep, and Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? This is the laboratory, bro. <laughs> You're the ones who said, Lord, teach us to pray. <laughs> one hour. Well, I couldn't stay awake one hour. Neither could Simon. Are you asleep, Jesus said? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So why does Jesus have Pete, Jim, and John there? Are they mainly there for him? I think they could be there for him, but I don't think they're mainly there for him because he says, you watch, you pray, so that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Into temptation. Once more, Jesus went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. You know, I don't know that Jesus needed to go back and pray a second time for himself. <laughs> but could it be that he came back and he settled it? I mean, he's prayed the prayer of worship. He's prayed the prayer of appeal. He's prayed the prayer of surrender. He's ready. But his disciples missed it. So he woke them up and said, let me try this again for their benefit. <laughs> I don't know. But Jesus is a real teacher and he wants his students to get what they're asking for. They ask him, teach us to pray. And so he goes back. Once more he went away, prayed the same thing. <laughs> Repetition is effective. Repetition is effective. This is a prayer laboratory. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to say to Jesus. You're not going to believe the next verse. Return in the third time. <laughs> he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. In my Bible, Jesus said, Enough. Exclamation point. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Well, three times Jesus went back, prayed the same thing. I don't know all the reasons why, but there's a relentlessness in his praying. You know, through Scripture, the number three carries extreme significance. Anything that we see three times, you know, is repetition and it's for a reason and it's for our good. That's what Jesus did. Well, I'm not quite done. Well, I'll ask Pastor Adrian to come up just a minute and help me. You still here, Pastor? I didn't know. I mean, you know, I've done services before if you need the night off. Come up here and help me, brother. Help us, will you? Before I give a conclusion, I'm going to ask 
I'm going to invite you to engage. <laughs> prayer taught, prayer caught. The lecture, the laboratory. We listen to Jesus, we look to Jesus. Whether we're listening or looking, he tells us the same thing. Pray to your Father. Begin with worship and make sure you pray prayers of surrender and prayers of appeal. That appealing part is humbling ourselves. He says, I can lift those who are humble. And so I asked Pastor Adrian if he would come, and I'm going to ask him to pray in this order, that he would pray a prayer of worship, a prayer of surrender, and then a prayer of appeal. It can be for his own life. It can be for the life of the church. It can be for his family. It can be for some of you. I, I, I don't know. It's whatever he wants to bring to the Lord tonight. But while he's praying, I'm going to ask you to engage the Father, your Father, in prayer. What might happen tonight in this room, in our families, in this community, if all of us <laughs> heeded the teaching of Jesus on prayer and the example that he gave us is profound, but it's quite simplistic. So if you would like to choose a posture to pray, it doesn't matter to me how you pray. I uh, remember one time I heard that there was a board of a church having an argument over the proper posture to pray. Some thought you should kneel. Some thought you should stand. Some thought you should lay out on the floor. Some thought you should walk around. You know, it was all these arguments. Finally, a farmer in the back had had enough. And he stood up. He said, I don't think the posture really matters. But if you're wondering, the best prayer I ever prayed was a day I fell head down into my well. W-E-L-L. -L. I did some real praying in that posture. So if you, whatever posture you want. But I think that it's important that we think about our posture before the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. We ought to think about it. Maybe he has a preferred posture for you and for me tonight. So would you begin to just quiet yourself? And if you, if you want to kneel up front, if you want to kneel at your chair, if you want to just put your your face in your hands, if you want to stand, if you want to walk around, if you want to go in the yard, find a hole to fall in, it's totally up to you. But what could happen tonight? You know, I heard one of the lyrics of the song, uh, something about a new wind blowing. You're expecting me to remember the lyric. No, your daughter sang head. it, so uh, I figured you know everything. Oh, word. yeah. But there was She's a new good. wind blowing. Like I, something like I hear a new wind blowing or it was something like that. It was yeah. something new yeah. happening. And I thought, wow, I needed that tonight. That's what I needed tonight. And I'm going to conclude with something akin to that. Okay? But let's take a few minutes, as long as the pastor uh, thinks that we should pray. Um, and would you please, let's turn this into a laboratory. We've had enough lecture. Let's pray. I'm just going to pause for a moment. To allow you to assume a posture, to quiet your heart, to clear your mind.
Father, our Father, we magnify your name tonight. We, we choose to lift up your name. None of us, none of us have a name worth lifting up. But you, Lord, your name, your name is, is worthy above any other name. Your name is, is holy, Lord. And so we, we choose to, to magnify, to make your name big, to exalt, to lift up. That The goal of our life would not be to make ourselves greater. No, no, but to make you, your name, great. And so we just stop this evening to magnify you to just step back, to pause what's going on in our lives, to recognize just how big you are and how good you are and how worthy you are. (laughs) And in spite of all of those things, how holy and perfect you are, you see us tonight and you love us. And we will never get over that. We will never be able to really understand that, Lord, but we thank you. We choose tonight not to magnify our circumstances, not to magnify our feelings. There's nothing wrong with feelings, Lord. But tonight, we choose to worship you. You are our God. You are our, our Lord, your Lord of our lives. That means that we choose, we choose to let you be in control of our lives. We don't have to be in charge. We don't have to be in control. We don't have to be the one in the driver's seat, Lord. We can trust you to lead and guide our lives. We can let you be Lord. You're worthy, Lord, of that. That, that each and every one of us in this room were fearfully and wonderfully made, but none of us make a good Lord of our lives. <laughs> That's your job. And so tonight, we just, we stop long enough to admit that when we, when we're trying to be Lord and we're trying to manufacture and figure it out and make it all work, Lord, it's a mess. But you, you're Lord. You're Lord. We believe tonight that you're good. We do, Lord. In the midst of a world that's hurting and broken, we believe that you're still good. We believe that you love us. In spite of circumstances tonight, some of us might be experiencing where it would be easy to doubt your love, but we believe, we worship you tonight because you love us. You've demonstrated your love for us by sending your son to die on a cross for us so that we would not be enemies of God, so that we would not be far from you, so that we could come near and call you Father. You love us tonight. Lord, if you, if you didn't do anything else for us, you've already done enough. So we worship you tonight. We pause our thoughts and feelings and emotions and our circumstances in the things that may feel like so much going. We, we pause long enough to just step back and magnify the Lord. Like the psalmist said, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. And when we do that, Lord, you draw us, you draw us deeper. 
Lord, as we experience you and your goodness and your holiness, that word we talked about earlier, we recognize that we are not on our own holy people. We are not on our own worthy of anything that you've done for us. And so as we worship you tonight, our posture, our response tonight is one of humility. It's one of surrender. Our posture is not (laughs) to try to toughen it out on our own. Our posture is not, I'll figure it out on my own. Our posture is not to push you away in hurt or frustration or pain or confusion. Our posture tonight is to surrender to you, to let you come and be everything that you want to be in our lives, to come and let you do everything that you desire to do in us and through us, not for our glory and not so that people would think much of us, but so that they would see you and think much of you in us and through us, God. Tonight we choose to surrender our way and our plan in our dreams, they might be good dreams, Lord, but tonight we choose to surrender. We want your desires for us. We want your mind, the mind of Christ. We want your dreams, dreams for us individually, dreams that you would have for us as a church, for our community, for our schools, for our campuses, for our workplaces, Lord. We want your vision, your dream, not our short-sighted vision that we might have, Lord. We surrender that and believe you might have something way, no, you do have something way bigger. So, Lord, whatever it is that we came into tonight holding on to so tightly, so scared of losing it, we choose a posture of open hands. All that I have is yours, God. All that I have is yours. Lord, some of us in here, I I identify, we, we look and say, I don't know what, God, you could possibly do with me. But Lord, you are the potter and we're the clay. So we surrender tonight. We place ourselves on that wheel and let you make something beautiful. God, you are making something beautiful out of us. You are creating in us something beautiful that far extends beyond our glory. And now we bring you our hurts. We bring you our burdens. We cry out to you, Father, like a, a child that's, that's hurting and in pain And you as the father, you scoop us up and like that child beating on the chest of their father. Tonight, some of us, Lord, we beat on your chest. Maybe in confusion, maybe in pain, maybe in hurt, maybe in circumstances that just don't make sense to us. We come and we appeal for your wisdom for your favor, for your guidance, for an answer that we've been seeking, Lord. We remember, Jesus, how you taught us to pray and that you taught us to ask and keep asking and to seek you and keep seeking and to knock and keep knocking. And so that's how we're going to pray tonight. That's how we're going to appeal to you. These may have been things that we've prayed many times before, but tonight we sent you inviting us to come and speak those things again.
You're our Father, and you desire that we, your children, would draw near to you. Tell you what's on our heart. Tell you what we're scared of tonight. We wouldn't hold anything back. We wouldn't have to pretend. God, you know it anyway. But we would just lay that before you, whatever it is. There's nothing we need to be ashamed of tonight. In the presence of a loving Father, we can lay it at your feet. We can surrender it. We can appeal to your grace and your mercy. There's nothing tonight that needs to separate us from a Father who loves us. Lord, would you come tonight? Would you heal us? Some of us didn't even know we needed healing, but tonight, as we appeal to you, Lord, you may show us places in our life that need healing. And you're able to do that, Lord. You're able to heal us. You're able to redeem broken places in our life and somehow bring that fresh wind. Lord, we sense your presence here with us tonight. We know that you're near and we know that you're close. And the beautiful thing about prayer, God, is it's not just us talking to you. <laughs> Teach us to be still. Teach us to be okay, to, to listen. It's like when I'm with my kids and they love me and they know I love them and it's okay to just sit together, God. May we find comfort in praying like that. We can just be with you, Lord. Hear our prayers tonight, Lord. Draw near to us as we draw near to you, Jesus. And all of God's people said amen. You can continue to pray. I'm getting ready to close and then give it back to Pastor Adrian. It must have been about 17 years ago. I was standing about right here where this board's creaking, but I was on the floor standing. We were having a Sunday morning Gethsemane gathering, and one portion of that gathering was a time of anointing. And we had about five pastors stretched across the front here with anointing oil. And I remembered inviting the people to come. And uh, I looked at the end of my line. It was almost to the back. All the lines were long. And at the very back, I saw a young wife standing. And I felt like she may be the main reason we're having this service today because she had been to visit me and she had told me that she and her young husband um, had had no success in having children and that is a deep pain that only those who have experienced it know I've walked with quite a few couples and uh, but I want to tell you this story doesn't always turn out to be what God chose, but for this story. So I saw her standing back there. I could say her name. I don't need to. 
And I, I was praying for everyone else. And what I had done that morning was I said, when you come to be anointed, don't tell us what you're praying for. We're just going to anoint you and agree with you. It's going to be a silent prayer, but you let the Lord know what you're asking for. And so I saw her, and uh, I knew what she was asking for, uh, that she would uh, become pregnant, and that she wanted to be a mother more than anything in her life. And she was almost the last one up, and I anointed her. My heart was broken. Um, I didn't pray out loud. We just agreed. And uh, she went back to her seat. And the next day she called me. The next day she called me. She said, Pastor Kerry, I just don't want you to make an assumption. And I said, well, what would I assume? She said, you probably would assume you know what my prayer was. I said, well, I think I could guess. She said, well, you actually couldn't. She said, because when I got in line, what you're assuming was my appeal. <laughs> she said, but that long line, uh, she had begun to worship the Lord in the line. And by the time she got to me, she had not only prayed prayers of worship, she prayed prayers of surrender. And she said, Carrie, I just want you to know that my prayer was the same prayer that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Lord, if you would give me a child, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. She said, Pastor Carrie, I want you to know that my true appeal before God was not for children. It was for what he desired. Oh, man, I whipped. I mean, because so I thought, wow. Well, I followed the life of this couple. Within a year, they had a little boy. But it went from that prayer on that morning because that's not what she asked for. So this week I was on Facebook and uh, she put a picture up of that boy. Man, I lost it. And uh, I won't say his name, but she said, uh, I'll just say Jack. Jack's first homecoming. <laughs> High school homecoming, I guess. I don't know. I guess he's not been to a homecoming. And he was standing there with a pretty little girl beside him. And uh, my heart just melted. Some of you may know who it is when I tell this part of the story. But uh, she and her husband will go on to have a second son. And uh, both of their children, like my brother Bill in Kingsport, Tennessee, uh, both of their children had autism. And um, uh, at the doctor's, you know, the doctor's suggestion, they left our church because they said they need to be in a real small environment, you know, where they're not overwhelmed. 
And so that's one couple that left, not because they wanted to, but because it was best for their family, and I bless that. Uh, but they've stayed in touch with me. And uh, she became an advocate for autistic children. And the work that God has used her to do for families is off the chart. <laughs> so I just felt tonight that I should give a real story about how it can work out if we worship and we surrender, but it didn't work out exactly the way she had planned. Uh, she was not going to ask for two autistic children. They're precious. I mean, it's not that, but, you know, we as parents always, you know, we, we pray for, you know, the health to be good, and uh, we know something about that. But God, his desires always prove to be exactly what we need. And so tonight, I don't know where you are, but I pray that, uh, that you will keep worshiping him in prayer and surrendering to him in prayer and keep making your appeal. But your appeal may change if you worship and surrender first <laughs> because that dear mother, wife on that day would tell you that uh, worship and surrender caused me to ask for what God wanted, not for what I wanted. That's one way to get your prayers answered. And I want you to stand, and I want to encourage you with this. Uh, I had one dear brother in the church here. He texted me later this afternoon, and I appreciate the text. I really do. Uh, he said to me, praying that the Lord will give you the continued strength and knowledge to preach the good word this evening. Sorry, I won't be there. Love you, brother. So I just sent him back these words. We'll miss you, man. Believing God's going to do some miracles tonight. Now, I wasn't trying to crowbar him to the meeting. But uh, if he was missing for a reason that I wanted him in the room, and I haven't looked around to see if he's here, um, that's not important. What I want to say is I believe tonight because we have engaged the Father in prayer, some miracles have been birthed. And uh, amazing grace makes me optimistic. So I hope that that puts a song in your soul and I hope you'll be able to live with some anticipation and expectation. Whatever you're going through, I believe that some miracles have been birthed here in this room tonight. And time will tell or eternity will reveal if uh, my belief is correct. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.